As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Thought I'd start off the show with it this time. It is a better opener. <laughs> Maybe just get rid of the theme music. We're going to have more woo tonight as Josh and I continue our conversation with Alex. If you didn't catch last week's episode, you probably want to check that out first because it lays the groundwork for this episode. Alex tells us about his return trip to the same area. He brought two friends. They end up seeing a creature. They end up seeing strange lights. They leave gifts. They see 
what appears to be little fairies dancing around their gifts. Very, very interesting. And it continues from there because he returns several more times. Before we get to Alex, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. Thanks for everything you do. We could not do Strange Familiars without your help. If you want to help us make Strange Familiars and get more content besides, you can go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars and become a patron. There's different tiers of support there. No matter what tier of support you choose, you're helping us make Strange Familiars and you're getting extra content. We do two full extra episodes of Strange Familiars for our patrons every month. So check it out. Again, that's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. And speaking of patrons, one of our patrons, longtime supporter of the show, Maynard, is in rehab after an operation for his foot. He's unable to work. He needs a little financial help. He's got to go fund me. We're going to put the link in the show notes. If you can help Maynard out, go ahead and do that, please. You can find the link to his GoFundMe at strangefamiliars.com under this episode. And Maynard, I hope you feel better soon. All right, let's go ahead and get to the second part of our talk with Alex. So do you start doing research on this before you go back? Or did you did you go back just like, you know, take a friend yeah. back and like, hey, like you got to come out here and I'll show you where this happened or something like that. Yeah. So um, I wrote up the uh, account of what happened and I posted it on Reddit and I posted it to like the missing 411 subreddit because like that was like one of the first things that I came across when I started Googling like uh, like the weather thing in Bigfoot. And it's like, oh, did politis. And it's, I don't know how I feel about all that necessarily, but I posted my account on there and I got like these recommendations for like these documentaries and like avenues of research that I could go down. And I, the first thing that I watched was the missing 411 hunted documentary. And they have a segment in there about the Sierra camp and the Sierra mountains in California and the recordings that they made in the seventies. And it's like, wait a minute, this is exactly, this is exactly what I experienced. So that was, um, kind of my first foray into the whole Bigfoot thing was, um, through Ron Moorhead and, uh, you know, he's got his own ideas about what it is and that's cool. But I've since kind of like branched off of this whole phenomena being exclusively a uh, giant monkey person with psychic mm-hmm. power. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I explain everything what happened to my, my roommate. I kind of like tentatively tell him what happened. I leave out certain details like the, the psychic stuff or like the thought patterns in the mind speak or whatever. For good reason, I think, because uh, anyone who doesn't know what that is is probably going to think it's um, some kind of mental. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a crazy enough. St- like when you tell this stuff, oh, it's, it's crazy oh, yeah. enough as it is, and then you start adding that stuff in, and people are like, "Okay, I'm out." <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, and I listened to the uh, the last episode that you did, and you mentioned like the overwhelming kind of thing where you like, oh, and then I saw a UFO, and then like, and then like I saw Bigfoot. It's like, okay, like this right. is too much for anyone to to like believe so you kind of have to leave out details in a way yeah so yeah that's that's what i did and, uh I, I showed him that documentary and i was like dude this is this is exactly what happened or like i was just gonna say so sometimes i think that this compounding of bizarre elements that aren't supposed to be related quote unquote um, is a deliberate technique used by the phenomena um yeah. i mentioned i mentioned this in a uh in an essay that i've got coming out in a 
another collection of essays, not that collection of essays, but a different collection of essays that's coming out soon. And uh, there's a screenwriting line of thought that says that you can't engage in a bunch of double mumbo jumbo, which is like you can have vampires or you can have men from Mars. You can't have vampires from Mars, right? Right. Unless you're like doing some sort of like, you know, send up that's sort of a tongue-in-cheek velocipaster yeah. or something like that right and and because you you wreck the audience's disbelief and sometimes i wonder I, I put this forth in this essay that like maybe that's a deliberate ploy to to sort of remain in that marginalized area that these things tend to yeah. prefer to dwell in jacques Vallée uh talks about like how the phenomena negates itself through absurdity sure yeah you know? and yes 100 percent. and the more i talk to people and again i've talked to some people who've been on other podcasts and they were just like well they didn't want to talk to me about the ghost and UFO stuff. They only wanted to talk to me about the Bigfoot stuff, uh, right? Yeah. Or they, you know, it was a ghost podcast and they didn't want to hear about the UFO stuff. Right. And it's gotten to the point where I don't know that it's more common for people to have multiple things happen, but it's quite common for people who have experienced one thing to experience other things. And mm-hmm. I know this just from talking to witnesses. Every week I talk to them. The number of people who have multiple things is it's not small. Let's put it that way. It's it. Right. If, a lot of times, if some one thing happens, people have other things as well. So you're telling your roommate. Sorry, sorry we threw you off yeah. track. You're telling your roommate right. about this. Yeah. So I show him that documentary. I basically like browbeat him. You know, trying to like this. This is what happened, man. Like I'm. I'm not lying. <laughs> I realize. Like I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm rational about this whole thing. Like I. I understand that what I'm saying sounds insane. You know, so I'm not like trying to obsess too much over it, but it's almost impossible for me not to just because it's getting past like the whole trauma aspect of it. It's it's an intensely fascinating event, you know, and not only just because it happened to me, just because it's like, you know, wait, Bigfoot's real. Like I never, never would have thought that ever unless this had actually happened, you know. So yeah, I start doing like research. Uh, this also unlocks a whole bunch of like memories that I had tried. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, had like completely wiped from my mind or like my day to day. Like I had seen a UFO before when I was in school in Seattle at a frat party. So I was this was around like 2017. I was at a outdoor uh, backyard frat fraternity party, which I don't normally go to. I'm not part of that whole thing. I just went because like my friends were there. And I think I had like a beer, but obviously don't, they don't, alcohol does not make you see these types of things. But just for full honesty and disclosure, that's what I was drinking. It's like a Bud Light or something, something bad. Um, and I'm talking to this guy from University of Michigan, I remember. I can't remember his name. I should probably look him up, but just so I can corroborate this story somehow. But for whatever reason, I get this feeling that I should look up, and I do, and I see this glowing green egg-shaped object in the sky like behind the clouds i can see like the clouds passing over it and it's very distinctly ovular you know like an egg and i look up and i say hey what's that and he looks up and he's like hey that looks like a ufo and then as soon as he says that it zooms off like a bullet like extremely fast to the left and just disappears and that was Probably, yeah, that was definitely the first thing that I had ever seen visually that was I would consider paranormal. I think it's important because another person saw it. So Right, yeah. Yeah, it kind of unlocked that memory. Another memory that it unlocked was I remembered that I had had dreams when I was a kid. And I find this interesting because normally 
like I can't remember dreams at all, but especially from like age five or four, you know. Um, but I remember a dream that I had when I was a very little kid of little people in my room running around and I don't know, like destroying things or I don't know, just causing a nuisance or something. I don't remember exactly the motives or what they were doing necessarily, but it didn't seem very pleasant. They had like little pointy heads or pats or something. You know, I had like a book on gnomes or something when I was a kid. Uh, there's like this famous, um, famous, like very well illustrated book on gnomes. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Or who I, read I it, know which one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so funny. I remember that dream so distinctly. And again, it was like one of those like hyper real, very distinct memories that I had. Another one that I remembered was a little bit older, maybe like 10 or 11. My brother and I used to share a bedroom, and I remember waking up and seeing a, with my eyes, this was not in a dream state, a, a little person covered in hair running down the hall and jumping into my brother's bed and then disappearing, and my brother was in the bed, so there's no possible way that it was him. And again, this is one of those memories that I just completely blocked out forever until this Bigfoot thing happened. So this whole thing kind of released a whole bunch of stuff that I, my brain for whatever reason kind of blocked out. It recontextualizes it as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's great. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, again, you know, kind of similar things, not same dreams, but I've had dreams that I remember that I thought were recurring dreams. Well, I knew I was awake, (laughs) But when I was a kid, but, I, but as you know, looking back, I was like, oh, they just must have been recurring dreams until I started getting into this stuff. And it changed the right. whole nature. It just really recontextualized them. Right. So, yeah. Because I, um, I remember thinking at the time when I was a kid, like, huh, that was strange. But I had never, yeah, I, I didn't have any context for what that possibly could have been. So I kind of just wrote it off as a, a waking dream or something like that. Right. And yeah. 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 That was very interesting to remember all of that. So yeah, do you guys want to hear about what happened when I went back? Absolutely. How long in between was okay. there before you went back? <laughs> okay. So I went the first time in August, mid-August. I had a little time to tell my roommate, tell my friend. I brought two other guys with me, my friend Steve and my friend Julian, who is my roommate. And I had a little time to like explain, like, this is a thing that has happened to other people. You know, like, look at this and this and, like, look at this documentary. Like, <laughs> I basically had... Yeah, I had time to um, tell them this was not just a hallucination or some kind of like manic episode or whatever. Not that that has ever happened to me before, but they were um, open to it, I'll say. But they were definitely going and like, ah, this is fun. Like, oh, we're going to go look for Bigfoot. (laughs) This is hilarious. Not not exactly that way, but a little bit more nice about it, Mm -hmm. which I appreciate. So they were not expecting anything to happen is what, what I'm trying to say. So we go in November, I think it was November 19th, so like a couple months after. And when we get there, we basically just set up our camp. It's the exact same spot. I am very nervous because, uh, again, like I'm still highly traumatized by what happened. Uh, I'm still feeling very paranoid and like I just want them to see the location, basically. I don't necessarily need anything to happen. We set up our camp. We do a little, bit, a little bit of exploring because it's not raining, and I'm feeling a little bit more safe with other people there. Mm-hmm. We walk up the hill to where I heard like the first thing walk down from. So I'm like, all right, let's just go see what's up there. Maybe there's something. And up on this hill is like a big 
line of boulders and um it looks kind of like a spinal column almost but there's just like these bunch a bunch of big rocks and we decide to sit on them for a little bit and just like, like wait and just see what happens and uh as we're walking up my friend julian says like hey i'm, I'm feeling like this weird thing in my spine like this weird like electrical shock that's never happened before it's like oh wait a minute that like did i tell you that that's what happened to me and i don't think i had at that point so like he that was the first thing that weird that happened to him so as we walk up he starts feeling that strange sensation we decide to sit on these rocks steven starts to become nauseous for some reason which i find interesting and he walks back down to the camp to go lie down because he's feeling ill which is an odd detail, I think. No, After that's walked, that's a that's a thing. Yeah, that's an yeah. important detail. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know that now. <laughs> yeah. He walks down. We wait a little bit, and then Julian taps me on the shoulder, and then he says, "Alex, hey, look over there. What is that?" And about fifty feet away, behind a tree, is a little hairy, black-haired person or something. I don't know, like a little black-haired humanoid, and it's peeking out behind a tree and it's like bobbing back and forth, like swaying Wow! side to side. And obviously that was a very affirming moment, but also very, I don't know how else. I, yeah. It was just one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. Tons of questions here. Sure. Yeah. Um, how tall roughly? It was short. It was like five feet tall. It was mm-hmm. little. It's uh, not big. Could the body type, can you, you know, was it skinny, you know, bulk, um, uh, like it, broad? It was not bulky. It didn't have a neck. It, like its shoulders met its head. Um, I don't know if that's because its traps were super big or if it was just like hunched up. I don't know. But like it didn't seem to have a neck. Shoulders were pretty wide. I remember this. Oh, this is a weird detail. You know how an orangutan has like the hair that falls off its uh, elbows? That's kind of longer mm-hmm. you know yeah. it had that like oh, it had wow. long, yeah it had like long hair off the elbows which i find is a very interesting detail yeah and it was just like swaying back and forth could you see tree. any face details at all no so julian was sitting on a rock higher than i was so he saw the face he saw a face he describes it as like a child like a like a kid wow said it had like a confused inquisitive look on its face he actually drew it um, and i can send you the picture of the drawing uh, later but did he describe the skin color at all or uh i i think he said it was like dark skin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so we are, we don't say anything so he's an instant believer at this point i'm guessing I mean, yeah 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 you, you can wow. talk to him now and he says yeah we saw we saw a little hairy monkey man so, wow and he, you know, he kind of has like a different um, approach to all this. Like he's a, uh, or he went to art school and he likes, you know, he likes uh, all the creative stuff. So he's like, oh, it's so cool that like, you know, he doesn't really have like the, dude, this is kind of important, you know, like Bigfoot, Bigfoot's real. Like this kind of implies a whole bunch of other crazy stuff too, you know, but right. I don't think he really thinks about it that much, honestly. But, you know, if you talk to him, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's what we saw. So after a while it kind of just like disappears behind the tree and we don't see it again. How long would you guess that you, it was there or that you saw it rather? Um, probably around like five minutes. Oh wow. Like, that's a, that's a good long time. Yeah. Yeah. I know it was standing there for a while and we were just like, I didn't feel fear. You know, I felt fine. I felt totally safe, which is interesting. You know, I yeah. felt very calm, very relaxed. I'm just like, Oh, this is so great. 
like Julian doesn't think I'm crazy. Finally, like, not that he did necessarily, right. or right. but uh, I just felt very affirmed, very pleasant, and just like not necessarily happy because I'm just so freaked out, you mm-hmm. know. But yeah, I was not feeling the paranoia or the fear at that moment. So yeah, we see that it disappears. We walk down the hill back to the tent, and we don't say anything. I think we just kind of know that what we just saw was pretty intense and pretty important. And I'm so exhausted emotionally and mentally at that point. So I just kind of crawl in the tent and I'm like, oh, thank you for, for, thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. I'm just going to go to sleep and then go home. I don't need to obsess about this anymore because I I proved it to my friend. So what has your life been like after all this? I mean, relationships, outlook, et cetera. I mean, Um, any, any noticeable changes or it has definitely been a positive for me, a net positive. Really? Okay. Yeah. I don't feel haunted by demons or like possessed or, you know, cause like I've talked to other people in the paranormal realm. It's like, dude, like, why do you gotta be so paranoid about this? It's not that, I mean, from my experience, these things don't want to hurt you or if they, maybe they even can't, I don't know. Maybe these things exist in a realm between the dream and the real world or something, you know, like I don't necessarily, I don't know. I, I just, I find this, too interesting not to devote a significant portion of my energy to, to mm-hmm. also because I find like there's not a whole besides like your podcast and um, I think like Hellier that documentary did a pretty good job of contextualizing like the phenomena in a way that mm-hmm. is not like History Channel or um, like Boomer extremely boring documentaries which are all over Amazon right. I'm, right. Sure, I'm sure you guys know what I mean yeah, or, or another congressional hearing. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like, okay, so that that's interesting you bring that up because it's like whenever I hear people talk about UFOs, it's like, bro, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it is such a huge spectrum of separate and connected phenomena that when you just talk about, well, like Navy pilots saw a mysterious right. object that like, well, it maneuvers not like a drone. It's like, dude, are you going to bring up the fact that this is related to the ever <laughs> I don't think you are so, um, well, I mean I think in a way you had an advantage in that your introduction to the phenomena from the outset mm-hmm. kind of told you this is something more than than a, a monkey in the woods right yes yes yeah. absolutely absolutely what and I would add to that Tim an advantage in the fact that you know short of being taken by one of these things somewhere, they don't get much more harrowing than what you experience. Oh, yeah. 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 I Um, I have not found another encounter that's like, as I mean, I'm 100% positive there have been, you know, because these things, I'm I'm certain these things go back forever to hunter-gatherer times. So I'm I'm positive that there are accounts or encounters that have happened that are much more intense than mine, but I have not found any that might be... You know what I'm saying. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, whatever it is, I think it's a traveling companion with us. I really do. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. So um, you go back to your tent. So is it getting towards nightfall now? Yeah, so this is the next step of the uh, this whole thing for me is what happens next. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I get in the tent. I kind of like lie down. I pass out because I'm so exhausted mentally and emotionally. I wake up to Julian and Steven saying, Alex, get out here. There's something in the tree. And I get out, and there's this cluster of bluish-white orbs just wow. sort of 
swaying in like a figure eight motion up in the canopy. And it's, it's nighttime at this point because I had passed out for a little bit. And we had, we had gotten there later than the first time I'd been there. So it was around like 5 p.m. when we saw the little, little hairy guy. So it's, it's dark, probably like 7 or 8. And yeah, there's just this cluster of like 6 to 7 baseball-sized uh, orbs just hovering very, very close to us up in the trees. And they're making this weird kind of like, um, yeah, swaying figure eight pattern motion. And we look at it and everyone's like, uh, you know, what is happening right now? Like no one's super scared, but there's definitely a lot of excitement and energy happening. Everyone's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm kind of just silent because I'm like, wait a minute. Like I didn't <laughs> like you guys don't have to do anything else. You know, it's it's cool that we, you showed yourselves like I, we can kind of just go home now. Like this is great. <laughs> yeah, they're going to um, believe me now. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they're just hovering there for a long time. You know, they just stay there and I look behind us and there's another cluster. And then as it gets darker, more of them show up and they start to like zoom in circles around us in the canopy. I don't, again, like, I don't know how to describe the emotional state I was in, but it's, you know, it's shock. It's, it's not fear, but it's, yeah, it's just a state of shock basically. I'm sure that somewhere in the ufological literature that figure eight pattern has been repeated, but it also puts one in the mindset of the falling leaf pattern that you hear mm. associated with UFOs, which uh, um, also, you know, a ports and poltergeist cases have that same sort of pattern a lot of times. Yeah. So that's interesting you bring that up. And I'm, I'm so happy that you, you know about that because that's one of the details that I find the most interesting is that motion. So the phenomena of Fatima, I'm sure you, I'm positive you guys know what that is. They describe mm-hmm. it like mm-hmm. a false belief. Um, there are a lot of accounts in uh, Dimensions by Jacques Vallée, which is an awesome, awesome book of, yeah, basically the same thing of like, there's like some Japanese general in like the 13th century that described the same thing. He called them like swaying stars or something like that. Johann Goethe, the German poet, described basically the same thing in his like fairy uh, encounter on his way back home from Italy, I believe. There's so many like details that correspond to what I saw personally, which is so crazy. It's so awesome. But yeah, so it's making this motion. They kind of dissipate after a while. We, uh, it's funny. Um, they're there for so long. We don't really get bored of looking at them, but it's like, it becomes kind of just like, all right, yeah, that's cool. Like they're there. They're just there hanging out with us, you know? And we start a fire and we're just sitting around it and we start to hear like wood knocks up, like really up high like this loud banging sound again. Yeah. It sounds like uh, someone with a stick hammering on a tree up high in a tree, which is funny. And that's like super close by. And now this is a a detail that I normally leave out of most every retelling of this encounter because it is almost too intense or too unbelievable for people to handle. But I'm going to tell you guys, because I know that you appreciate the interesting details. This is when the military showed up and uh, obviously, I knew that the military hung out in this area, but I didn't expect them to uh, appear in that wow. spot at this time. And it start, and, and I'll, I'll give some context to it because I I know when I say that it's like that's just that's just too crazy to, for people to believe. But again, you can ask both of these dudes, and they will tell you the exact same thing of what happened that night. We get in the tent because we're going to go to sleep. We had left out like some little treats uh, for them in front of our campsite or from in front of our uh, fire pit, and it's completely extinguished. 
Not a, not a single burning coal is left. It's an important detail. Because what happens is at the little gifting site, and I had, I had read about gifting and like thought that might, that might facilitate some kind of response or something. I, I, I didn't really think it might, but I just thought it was worth a try. But it turns out it did because what happened at the gifting site was little orange. They looked like little fairies or something. Like It looked like a little winged uh, creature, but it, it did not behave like an insect. The fact that they were localized to that particular spot is too much of a coincidence for me to believe that it was some kind of bug or like, you know, um, I don't know what else it could be that besides like a little fairy orb or something, but it looked like it had wings. It was glowing orange, like a little burning coal, but they were floating in the air and they looked like they were dancing in a circle around it. I don't know how else to describe it. Just they look like they're dancing from being happy that we left them like little chocolate uh, peanut butter cups. Or <laughs> now you're seeing this before you, you get into your tent or are you seeing this from your tent? We're seeing this from the tent. We're all facing out, uh, looking at it. Okay. And again, like everyone's, everyone's like completely dumbfounded. Like what is happening right now? Wow. You know, no one's scared necessarily, but it's definitely like very heightened state of mind. Everyone's in. Um, that is when we start to hear a bunch of people coming down the trail and it is 20 to 30 dudes with rifles and backpacks and the lights disappear and we are like incredibly scared that we are about to like be murdered by the army or something. And it's like, they, they don't see, I mean, I don't think they see us. They ignore us if they did, but they walk down the trail, which is probably 50 feet away from us. So very, very close. And they just walk by us and then they, they just keep going. And Steven was convinced that we were about to get murdered or something, <laughs> or, you know, like be told this is a, private area or I, I don't know something bad was about to happen but nothing did but yeah the, like literally training army dudes i think they were training because they had like the little um simunition apparatus on the tip of their rifle it's like a little block that um you can fire blanks out of and i only know that from watching videos about special forces or training or something but they had those on the rifles and no mags in the guns either mm-hmm. um they're they're obviously doing some kind of training up exercise but i just find it so bizarre that again it's like this synchronicity kind of thing where the sequence of events is just so so bizarre i don't know how yeah i just i don't think they were there to look for bigfoot or anything but i just find it a very interesting detail yeah but yeah, that was, yeah. i have no idea what to make of that yeah I, yeah dude, i don't know either like okay so just imagine we're looking at like little fairy like a little fairy dance party circle around our little chocolate cup offering site on this big slate rock, like 10 feet in front of us. And then like 20 army dudes walk by us down the trail with guns. And then like the little um, orange fairy lights kind of just fade out as soon as they approach. And, you know, after that, they don't come back. So we're like, all right, let's just go to bed. And we do. And then we leave and we go home. And yeah, that's the story of the second time I went. (laughs) Wow. No less amazing than the first time. Well, I, dude, okay, so I've been seven times. There, there's a lot more. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Is it practical just to give a catalog of the things that have happened? Has sure. It, yeah. Yeah, I know it's it's it would take a long time for me to like tell the detailed account, but the the first two are probably the most important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me let me think about it. So I'll just say the third time that we went, I went with only Julian. Stephen couldn't go. I can't remember. It was it was winter time. We didn't see anything. We didn't experience anything weird. Uh, we heard some like wood knocks, but I'll tell you, I didn't want to go there with the intention of like experiencing anything else because I was like my nervous system probably couldn't handle it. But what we did was I took, I'll just say some entheogens or, you know, some substances with us. Cause I thought like maybe that could help facilitate some kind of paranormal activity of some kind. I'll tell you, I went to school in Seattle. Like I've definitely had some experience with this stuff and I always approached it through like a, a research lens, you know, like I don't, I I, I never liked taking anything that altered my mood just to have fun. You know, I find that like kind of a waste. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't approach it that way. So whenever I would do anything like that, I would always approach it like, Oh, wouldn't it be fun to like try and see if uh, we could communicate telepathically, which thinking in hindsight, like that's interesting that I tried to do that with my friends in, in Seattle when I was in school, but everyone was kind of lame and like into the whole frat party. Right. Crap. Yeah. And it's like, uh, like, Oh, uh, that's, that's hilarious, Alex. Like, why are you such a nerd? It's like, dude, you're so boring. But yeah, so I decide like, hmm, it would be an interesting experiment to take like three grams out there and just see what happens. So we do that, and I have this vision of what I can only describe as like my body decaying in a in a like medieval medieval knight's tomb or something. And it's it's like this green, very green, very like ancient feeling of like some kind of I again like I hate the term past life, but something like that. I don't know what it was exactly. It was probably just the mushrooms, but um, something like that. Very medieval, which I find interesting because I have this communication with something and I don't know, obviously I don't know what it was. It could have just been my subconscious, but being in that spot, I don't think it was. It was something that told me that, you know, something very bad is going to happen to the earth very soon and it's like I should prepare and like coming home I realized like oh wait this is like 
something that happens a lot with UFO experiencers and yep. it's often like a doomsday type of thing. And it's like, all right, I don't know if I should believe this or not, but I'm going to be, I'm going to write everything down and like, just have this as reference, you know? So what it says besides that is that there is something very, and again, like I'm only saying this because this is what happened. I'm not trying to sound self-aggrandizing or anything like that. Cause I don't like doing that, but, um, they said there's something about my DNA that they're very interested in, particularly in my ancestry. I don't know why, but it's interesting that I had that vision of that medieval tomb and myself in that tomb. I also had a vision of something in the sky that was looked like a big circle within a circle, like a wheel with the um, spokes off of it. Um, and that's what was trying to communicate with me. But obviously, like when you take that dosage, it's... Um, it's hard to tell what uh, what your visual cortex is stimulating because of the substance and what is actually there or not sometimes, you know. But this was particularly interesting because I feel like whatever was up in the sky was actually there in a sense, you know. Mm-hmm. And what it's showing me, it's like it's I'm seeing like all these uh, symbols and hieroglyphics and very ancient-looking things. And as I'm coming back down from the uh, sensation of the substances, I get this feeling of like, wait a minute maybe this is like what every religion was founded on initially, you know, was people taking these substances out in the woods and being contacted by whatever these entities are and having some kind of knowledge passed down through, you know, your brain being expanded by these things. And um, do you guys know what like the Eleusinian mysteries are? Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of made me think of that in a way. I mean, even in this, there's, there's a lot of stuff to unpack. Yeah. There's, there's just a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you know, I mean, apocalyptic visions on certain substances are <clears throat> super common, you know, certain substances have their own character. Right. And, you know, it sounds like that is pretty consistent with what you experienced. You know, I, I'm on the death kick lately. So <laughs> the fact that you saw yourself decaying, um, yeah. <laughs> means something. And, you know, I, I think that we, we're conditioned to dismiss a lot of these experiences as, you know, just quote unquote hallucinations, but there does seem to be some sort of reality embedded in at least some of these experiences. And, you know, even if it was your, you you mentioned earlier in regards to something else about it, you know, being your subconscious or something uh, Mm -hmm. communicating with you, I don't think that makes it any less valid of an experience, even if it's wholly internal. But I was wondering again, to the degree that you're comfortable sharing, what is your, what is your heritage? Do you know? Oh, um, yeah, I definitely looked into it. My family on my mother's side is uh, English and French, I believe. And on my dad's side, it's uh, more recently from Russia, from St. Petersburg area. Mm. Um, they, they moved here in uh, like the 1900s, I believe. Well, you know, it's, it's always sort of dodgy to talk about <laughs> bloodlines and whatnot in regards to this stuff. But, you know, there is an in- interesting conversation. I forget which book it's in, but um, Valet is talking to an old ex, uh, ex-Soviet agent who's basically scolding <laughs> scolding the U.S. because, uh, or basically, you know, Western Europe and whatnot, because we all killed our witches. So we sort of, just, yeah. you know, so we sort of killed off our, our bloodlines that were more uh, in touch with that. And he's, he's made it a point to say, you know, we never had that sort of reaction in in Russia with our with our witches. We never, in his words, like, you know, diluted the bloodline so that some of these talents could be passed on. I don't know if there's anything to that, but it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. I know they absolutely persecuted 
which is in like the 1400s in England for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I'll just like run down real quick like some of the other things that have happened in that spot. Yeah, please. Without, I think it's about time to mention the owl thing. So after the third time, I start doing a lot more in-depth research into what this whole thing is, and obviously I'm realizing that it's a huge, expansive spider web of different ideas and different subjects. And around this time, I started to get like the weird dreams again of the the hairy dudes, and I would wake up. This is another point in time where I was having an extremely hard time sleeping because, again, like the after effects were still very present. So I would go to sleep when it started to get light out because I could not fall asleep when it was dark because the darkness was so still so terrifying, you know? So I would go to sleep like at five in the morning and I, I would wake up and this would happen so consistently that it would, it would freak me out. I would wake up at 11, 16, um, not every morning, but like very, very frequently. Like I would look at my clock, it's like, oh, 11, 16. I did not mention that that is the number that I've been seeing since I was a, a very small child, like 9, 11, uh, 116, those two in particular, for whatever reason, that's like my synchronicity number. So I would wake up, and I would wake up to an owl hooting at that time after having a Bigfoot dream. Wow. (laughs) Yes, and this would happen consistently. This would happen like three nights in a row or something like that. And it's, again, it's not every every morning or every night this would happen, but, you know, at least like twice a week, two or three times a week it would happen. Um, And the other times it wouldn't happen is because like I was doing something or whatever the fact that like my internal clock was so accurate that i would wake up at the exact same minute is interesting to me enough by itself but the fact that an owl was hooting every single time and every single time i would have a bigfoot dream was too much for me not to like okay what is the deal with the owl because they started to live in a tree outside my window like (laughs) outside my house around this time too and it's like so i started to do i googled like owl uh bigfoot or owl ufo paranormal or something like that and i came across like uh mike clellan's work who i i I really like i emailed him a couple times we haven't connected yet but i'd like to at some point but yeah i I started reading his book and it's like wait a minute this is all the same stuff again (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. the weird the owl thing after people see a ufo like an owl shows up or like after people have a weird mystical experience an owl shows up and it's still there. Like I, I still hear it almost every day. Um, not, it doesn't wake me up anymore. I think I, I maybe it decided not to do that because I was falling asleep at a different time after I got over the trauma of the, the dark uh, time. But um, here's another weird thing. The owl started to appear with other people. So I told uh, some coworkers of mine who are two ladies that are like kind of into the witchy stuff, which I'm not, I'm definitely not, but um. It's def- they're definitely into the more like surface level manifesting, like like that kind of stuff. And, right. Uh, so I I knew that they would be at least open to my experience. So I told them, and I think like a couple weeks after I mentioned that, Katie, she told me her mom saw like a dead owl on the side of the road or something, and she's like, oh, this reminds me of uh what you're telling me about the owl. And it's like the next day when I'm driving to Whole Foods. I see a dead owl on the side of the road and I took a picture of it. Hmm. And again, it's just like this weird synchronicity relation to all of these like, like literal symbols. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a bunch of owl stuff happen only after I read the messengers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's yeah. That's so strange. Um, cause it, it definitely ramped up 
um, while I was reading that book, for mm-hmm. sure. And I don't know if it's the kind of thing, you know, it's like the whole thing with like the number 23 and they say, well, well you're just aware of it. So you start seeing 23 yeah, everywhere. Uh, recognition bias or cognitive bias. Or something yeah. Like but either way it happened, it was in conjunction with other things that it was happening Absolutely. to. Which... Yes. Yeah, so that's why I find it interesting is because it, it happened, you know, I would hear it at the exact moment that I was seeing the number that right. I always saw um, in conjunction with like these weird events. You know what I mean? Um, eventually I took, uh, those two girls with me to the woods while we were out there an owl flew right over my face while I was lying down on my back. Oh, wow. It flew direct, like inches above my head. They saw it. I've since like been fine with bringing like cameras out there after like the fifth or sixth time because, uh, when I was first bringing people out there, I was like very hopeful that something would happen and I think like not recording things might facilitate maybe a little bit more of a chance if that makes sense you know they might be a little bit weirded out by recordings or something like that I definitely have a theory with video and I've borrowed this from Tobe Johnson who who said it to me he said it's you know as regards this phenomenon it's almost like we're not allowed to video it but right but audio is okay for some reason Um, it lets us take audio recordings all the time they say that about like the phenomenon at Skinwalker Ranch too. Um, like it kind of evades the area where the cameras are or something. Mm-hmm. Before I forget, what's interesting is uh, you know that thermal imaging footage that um, what's his name Michael uh, Michael Green recorded. In that video, the figures swing back and forth behind a tree, which mm-hmm. is exactly what we saw. It's just an interesting note. Um, that's kind of what makes me believe it. It might be legitimate footage. Obviously, there's no way of knowing for sure. Right. Right. This is something that I think about a lot. Even if there is legitimate footage of Bigfoot or UFO, it's never going to convince anybody. There's no point in trying to get footage of this. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, especially now that we're in the age of uh, oh, yeah. of incredibly realistic CGI and right. C- CGI yeah. that's available to you know, you don't have to be work for a major mo- movie studio to get good yeah. with it. Yeah, no one's ever. You're not going to convince anybody with video. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah. I've recorded footage of the orbs and it's just, it looks like just a little speck of light. It's it's a hundred percent, a hundred percent. There's a place I go. I don't know if you've heard me talk about it called site seven, where we see the lights constantly and people are like, film them, film them, film them. Whenever we film them, still pictures or moving, you know, or, or film. Yeah. They, what looks to me like, you know, a considerably sized red or green light, you know, anomalous yeah. light in the woods. It looks like a white speck on the film. Yeah. Do you know who, um, Chris Bloodstone is? No. He is a... Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so, yeah, Joshua knows. Um, So, he's a pretty well-known experiencer in the UFO community, especially now, because he was the first uh, investigation by ATIP, I believe, which was like the Tom DeLonge, uh, Lou Elizondo thing. Or, I could get that. I could probably... I'm probably getting that wrong, but he had this encounter, basically, with... Yeah, just like balls of light in the woods and like invisible footsteps and a little little creature with his family, multiple witnesses. And again, like the after effects. And he also mentions like seeing some kind of like lady in white, which I know you guys are interested in. Mm. Oh, yeah. Which got the attention of like the Vatican or something. And he says like he has contacts with the CIA or stuff like that. Anyway, so I've talked to him on the phone. Yeah, because and- he's he's not too terribly far from you. No, he's in Fayetteville. Yeah, that's like a couple hours away. I want to see if he will talk with me on for my documentary project. But um, anyway, so he 
records these orbs and posts, the, posts, posts them on Instagram, and it's just like he uses a uh, what's called like a digital night vision camera. I actually have the same model as him, I believe, but um, what he posts are just like these little specks of light that go across the sky in a straight line and basically mimic the pattern of a satellite. And it's just so... Uh, I know he's telling the truth because I've experienced it for myself, but from an outside observer, it's like, that's just a satellite, man. I'm sorry. Like, uh-huh. having said that, let me tell you something really weird. So the last time I was out there, I brought the Psyonics uh, night vision camera with me. And I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. I'm going to, like, leave out some chocolate and see if I can get anything. If nothing happens, that's totally fine. I don't care. Like, I, I know that footage is not going to convince anyone. This is only for my personal uh, film project. But anyway, so I got footage of it. But guess what? I see the orb in the sky because they, they show up every time I'm there, which is awesome. I'm very grateful for that. Like, I, <laughs> I appreciate it. So it shows up, and it's just one of them. It's, like, orange and yellow, and which is kind of – that's abnormal. It's not normally that color. It's normally bluish-white or orange. It's, like, this pale yellow color, and it's doing, like, the same sort of zigzaggy uh, falling leaf motion. And I'm like, all right, hey, cool, this is great. Um, if you can hear my thoughts, like, do you mind sticking around so I can record you? And it starts to fade out, like hmm. a little, like a little bit. It's still there. And I'm like, I take that as like, I take that as a maybe, you know. Um, and so I, I bring the camera out, and it's still there. It's still doing the same little motion. And as soon as I turn it on, it start, it brightens up, and it starts to fly in a straight line. And I swear to God, and I. I can show you this video too because it it's crazy. But it starts to fly in a straight line at the exact same pattern at the exact same rate as a satellite. I see a bunch of satellites out there because there's no light pollution. But, um, I, you know, I maybe what Chris Bledsoe is recording are legitimately whatever these things are. I don't know because I'm not there. But um, it's just so bizarre that they mimic or seem to mimic, I don't know, like known objects. So, yeah. I've talked to people, several people whom mm-hmm. I trust very highly who have experienced stuff at his property. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm inclined to think it's it's all credible. Yeah. yeah, I am too. But, again, it's like the phenomenon negates itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For some reason. Yep. It's just kind of like, all right, <laughs> I know you're observing me, so I'm just going to try and act like a uh, known object. <laughs> so strange. Also forgot to mention, we also saw a blue orb at our feet. We had separate tents. The girls had their own tent, and I set up my tent across from them. And we had an, a blue orb the size of a basketball float down and sit um, directly in between us that wow. night. Yes. They also saw a figure in the shadows that I did not see, but that's just them. That's basically everything that has happened at that spot. Um, I, saw, I brought my brother out there a couple months ago. We saw... <laughs> My brother is a very staunch non-believer. He thinks this is all ridiculous, which I think that's... I, I think some people have, like, a whole, uh, like, little ego thing where it's like, I am not going to believe in anything ridiculous because I'm a smart, rational person. <laughs> they kind of take pride in that. And I'm like, dude, you realize, like, nobody knows anything about anything in reality, that everything that is written down is mostly just... I, I mean, you guys know what I'm saying. Like, uh, there's no... Like, consensus reality is not true reality, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so my brother and I saw this, like, color-changing orb that was doing the same exact uh, 
like falling leaf motion. And we also heard, he told me while we were out there, like, Alex, I think I heard something that sounded like a baby monkey. And huh. he was, he was a little freaked out. Um, but as soon as we got home, he was like, eh, that was probably a bird. It's like, dude, right. you did not think it was a bird while we were out there. But uh, whenever I try to ask him about the UFO, he's always like, yeah, that was weird, Alex, but I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway. I want to go there. Yeah, I would absolutely take you guys. I, I would actually love that. Let's do it, Tim. Let's do it, and we'll do it. We'll do a tour of uh... – you can come on down, and we can. I can show you the the few things that there are down here too in Atlanta. <laughs> well, Let's do it. I, w- I I need to. Uh, yeah, I need to. Do, it's going to be during the colder months though, because uh, I am not liking this summer weather. Oh, not this year. <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys a couple things. Um, I've been doing a lot of research. Obviously, uh, I'm curious if you are familiar with. Uh, I have her book right now. Uh, Mary A. Joyce, who wrote a book about the Cherokee little people especially in North in the North Carolina area. It's been recommended yeah. to me several times, but I, okay. I've not read it. Is, okay. is this the uh, Cherokee little people are real book? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that book is, it's a little ridiculous. I know. I would call it a hoot. That's why I asked you about it. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think there's some good ethnographic research in there, but for those who don't know, it's almost, it almost sort of circles around this. Con- I would almost call it a conspiracy that Western Carolina University yeah. in Cullowhee is like Short deliberately time. got rid of uh, uh, Cherokee yeah. little people dwellings and bodies. She also wrote a book about like the miracles of Jesus being actually real too, which makes me a little dubious in its own sense. But yeah, well, well, I, I think the problem that I would have with that book is that it's a little bit too literal minded about what these things yeah. are and the way that they operate. You know, the idea that no, there actually are, you know, tunnels with, with, if, you know, <laughs> with Nanyanahi skeletons. It's like, I don't think that's quite the way it works. I, I know. Um, right. Yeah. Whenever anyone starts to talk about like the Smithsonian and skeletons, I'm like, uh, you were brainwashed by Facebook, uh, <laughs> or like conspiracy theories. A couple of follow-up questions, Alex. Yeah. Yeah. When you go out there, are you greeted with that creepy feeling now? Yes, I sometimes still do. The last time I was there, I went to the exact spot that everything seems to happen, and I felt sick to my stomach. So I had to like go closer to my car a little bit to film the orbs. I was also alone. This is the first time I was by myself since the first time in August of two, uh, two years ago. That was my next question. Have you gone back alone? Okay. Now, I, I haven't spent the night alone yet. Because, like, I'm starting to think about this in a way of, like, I'm familiar with what shamanic initiation is. I still don't understand it at all, but I am familiar with that term. I kind of believe that's what happened the first time. I think that there are some interesting parallels between what happened to me and the history of, like, secret society initiation rituals, like the sensory deprivation, the fear, uh, the deliberate um, uh, frightening of the uh, subject or whatever you want to call it, the initiate. I don't know if there's a direct correlation, but there seems to be a couple, in my opinion. Uh, I'm curious what you guys think about that. But uh, to answer your question, uh, no, I've not been out there and spent the night alone yet. So okay. if like someone could somehow predict the future and they said, like, uh, um, you know, you're going to go out there on your mm-hmm. next visit and you're going to mm-hmm. spend the night, you're going to see, you know, one or more of these creatures is going to walk right into your campsite. You're going to have an up close and personal sighting of this thing. Would you do it? Yeah, I would probably vomit, <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I, I find this too interesting to pass up, honestly. It is addictive, isn't it? A little bit. Yeah. I def- when, 
when that bug bites uh, you, you live with the sting. Yeah. It's definitely a little concerning to people who are kind of outside of my personal circle that know about this thing that happened. You know, it's a little frustrating to try and talk about your work with people that don't really want to hear it or understand it, you know? The only... Yeah, I don't know. The overall answer is I don't know. The only advice I can give is every now and then just take a break from it, do something else. Oh, I was I was going to say that. Yeah, I um, that's that's funny you say that. My whole routine with this is I I do one day on, one day off, where yeah. I think of this. That's like probably literally, a good idea. So literally every single morning that I wake up, I have to think about it for at least a half a second because it's like it's still so. I don't. There's something about trauma and like being ingrained in your uh, immediate consciousness or I don't know something about that that makes me think about it as soon as I wake up in the morning and then yeah like every other day I'll be like nope I'm not going to think about that today mm-hmm. um, so far that's been keep, keeping me sane yeah uh, I think it's for mental health reasons I think it's very important because yeah, because there is an addictive nature to this I mean I can get absolutely obsessed by it yeah and there's again there's no way of as far as I'm aware procuring any sort of anything concrete relating to this you know there's no real way of like meshing this with like the neil degrasse tyson types Mm -hmm. sense you know what i mean yeah it doesn't work with materialist stuff it just just doesn't yeah that's the word thank you exactly alex i hate to uh predict things but i guess that you're going to have more and i hope you'll keep in touch and uh, and let us know Definitely. Yeah, I'd like to keep talking for sure. Yeah, um, please do. And, and I think I speak for Timothy when I say that had we known about your experience before where the footprints in came out and you had granted us permission, you would have been one of the case studies in the back. Oh, because absolutely. It combines cool. so many things. Yeah. So many things. The, um, I mean, yeah, so. Or, sorry, go ahead. From, I mean, you hit everything i think i was like I know, I know that's that's why it's so it's so weird man i <laughs> that's why i feel in order for me to like tell my family about this because like i have grandparents and relatives that are not going to be fine with this if i like just come out and say it i have to make some kind of like i don't want to say like entertainment product but you know like i i'm working on a like a documentary about this you know that is going to take a a very somewhat grounded somewhat rational perspective on this because that's where i came from initially before this encounter you know i was not a person who believed in fairies i would laugh at that honestly Mm -hmm. um there's one more thing that i wanted to ask you are you guys familiar with there's like this thing that i've kind of come across of like these uh novels or stories that have been written that the author says are true but they um they're often like discounted as like uh, a fiction or a, a fable um, but they often like are stories of like people going underground and oh, meeting yeah. like, yeah. uh, like Edadorpa. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, like the, the Edadorpa shaver. or like the shaver, yeah, the shaver mystery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, uh, the, the real, uh, people, um, mm-hmm. it was written by the dark and stormy night guy. I forget his name off the top of my head. Oh, okay. One last thing that I wanted to mention. Are you guys familiar with, I think his name is Edward Sturgis Ingraham or Ingram. I can't say that I am. Yeah. Okay. It's not ringing bells for me. Okay. All right. This is something that I think you guys need to look up. He was a uh, mountaineer from Seattle, a Freemason, uh, interesting detail, who wrote a account of meeting a, he called it a hairy old man in a cave while out on an expedition to Mount Rainier 
he said that he felt the exact same sensation that I felt, which was like the spine tingling, telepathic communication, balls of light. And yeah, this is the earliest recording of a like psychic Bigfoot thing that I can find. It's from, I almost swore again, <laughs> from 1895. And it's like, it's, you know, this is not like a, a Facebook conspiracy meme. This is like, it's in a book published that I, I, I haven't found a physical copy of yet, but I, I found like um, scans of it and they have a copy in the University of Washington library and I'm trying to see if they'll let me look at it. But wow. um, yeah, look up Edward Sturgis Ingraham, uh, old man, old man of the crater or something. Okay. Yeah. I think I have heard this story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was compiled in Rosemary Ellen Guiley's planet Bigfoot. I think okay. there's an essay that mentions it. But yeah, it, it does sort of touch on those those subterranean themes, which is, I mean, you know, you had mentioned the presence of gold mining in the Uaris, and that's yeah. one of Tim's. That's it's another one of those Tim Rennerisms where I was like, nah, that's not a thing. Buried treasure theory, and you know, I I'll be. I mean, I'm, for example, my my in laws just uh, moved to a part of Florida that has like probably the third most skunk ape sightings, and my uh, my mother in law was like, "Yeah, it's kind of funny, you know. We didn't really hear stories about Bigfoot growing up, but we always heard stories about pirates coming up the river and burying treasure." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, there you go." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you when you said there was uh, gold mining in the area, it was just like ching check check another yeah. box. You know, it was the site of the uh, that forest was the site of like the first gold rush in America in like the 1700s, I believe. I also know that um, quartz deposits are directly related to gold veins yeah. or something. Like yeah, that. they are. Yeah. I really appreciate you guys talking with me. This um, is wonderful. Yeah, this absolutely, is wonderful. absolutely. Absolutely. Please stay it, in touch. Yeah, it's so it's so nice to talk to people that understand. Honestly, yeah, it makes me feel good. So, Josh, you have some appearances coming up. I do. It looks like conferences are uh, back in rotation. So I'm actually doing three in the latter half of the summer. The first one is August 5th through 7th in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. It's the Midwest Conference on the Unknown, and it is a stacked roster. I'm so happy to be a part of it. It's uh, like Micah Hanks, Ryan Sprague, Ken Gerhart, Steve Ward, a bunch of people, including Michael Huntington, who's organizing it. So it's just it's it's just an absolute awesome roster. And then there's like a long weekend at a retreat in Franklin Grove, Illinois, August 11th through 14th at the uh, Worldwide Metaphysical Tribe is what it's called. And I'll be doing a Where the Footprints End talk there. And uh, we're also going to be calling down a UFO. And then uh, anyone in the Atlanta area for the first time after years of saying, hey, can I come? Hey, can I come? Hey, can I come? I will be at DragonCon September 1st through September 5th in Atlanta, Georgia. So come on out to any of those. I'd love to see people. There's a puppy I'd like to visit on our walk. There are two puppies you like to visit. Yes. One's a pug and one's a beagle. I think they might be my best friends. <laughs> they are perfect puppies. Actually, I, I really don't know. I, I just They could, could be really terrible yeah. inside the house. We only see them when they're outside having fun. I get to do the fun stuff with them. I get to pet them and, and hang out with them a little bit. But I would take them home if I could. But I know if their owner came to me and said, uh, these two, I need help. <laughs> I know where I'd send them. Do you know where I'd send them, Allison? I do. To our house. <laughs> And then you would call Tina at 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. Absolutely. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you with all your puppy training needs. 
They have a relationship-based approach that helps you and your puppy become perfect for each other. They have online sources like video lessons. They have a secret Facebook group, much better than those not-secret Facebook groups. They have one-on-one options also, of course. You can find them at sithappens.us. There's a 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page there. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you understand how your dog thinks and apply proactive training methods so you and your puppy can become perfect for each other. Once again, if you have a puppy and need help training, 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you. You can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. We're going to have more with Alex, even more with Alex. I thought of some things after I talked to Alex, and I emailed him some things that happened to Chad and I around pandemonium. And we started talking, and he started remembering some other things that he didn't tell me. I said, you know what? Going back, let's talk, and let's compare notes and talk about these weird dreams and things some more. So we're going to do yet another episode with Alex, but that's a patron episode. To hear that, you got to be a patron patreon.com slash strange familiars we'll be dropping that pretty soon that'll be the first patron episode of the month the second patron episode of the month is also related kind of tangentially to this episode it's josh kutchin and i talking about some folk tales and ghost stories from the uaris so it's you know kind of related because alex's whole story takes place in the uari national forest there so there's more with alex patreon.com slash strange familiars. H.P. Lovecraft. People like him, right? I think they do. We've been to his grave. We have, a couple times. What else is there in Providence, Rhode Island? Uh, Anais Nin's grave? Yeah, I think that was originally why we went there. <laughs> There's a couple other people in that cemetery as well. Yeah, it's what I think it's one of the coolest cemeteries I've actually ever been. Is it Swan Point? I think Swan so. Something? Providence, Rhode Island. It's one of the coolest cemeteries in yes. the world. The one time we went to Lovecraft's grades, somebody had graffitied the um, That Is Not Dead, Which Can Eternal Lie, or whatever thing for the quote. In like, like goth girl magic marker. It yeah, was really like, cheesy. Please, yeah, please don't do that to his grave. <laughs> <laughs> I he would have put it on there if he wanted that on Yeah. There. Uh, another time there was uh, crab claws left on his grave. At least that's biodegradable. Exactly. It's not permanent, at least. Well, I'm sure that the marker wasn't permanent either. I'm sure somebody scrubbed that off, but they shouldn't have had to. Yeah. He's not Jim Morrison. He's not. <laughs> In fact, he barely sung for the Doors Yeah, like just all. that one album. <laughs> <laughs> so these old paperbacks, and we can call them old now. I'd like to add that this paperback is actually younger than both of us. <laughs> is it? Is younger than both of us? I thought it was it was younger than me, but not you. Can you say it was from 76? This paperback is younger than both of us. <laughs> <laughs> this old paperback is younger than both of us. Uh, no, but I love these old mass market paperbacks. I collect the paranormal ones a lot, and some of the horror ones, if they're interesting. Oh, but they always have good covers. Yeah. The 60s ones always have, like, really cool psychedelic kind of covers to them, and this looks like it's straight out of a D&D module. It really does. So this is the mass market paperback, H.P. Lovecraft, The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. 
Have you read that one? I'm sure I did at some point. Are there a bunch of consonants jammed all up together in it? <laughs> a young man cursed by the ultimate invocation of evil. Among the best fiction of H.P. Lovecraft, says August Derleth. So we are pulling this from our collection and offering it up as the curiosity of the week. It's in pretty good condition. Yeah. A lot of these old uh, mass market paperbacks are, are pretty beat up. This one's in, in pretty nice condition. We'll put a image of this in the show notes. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this and other curiosities of the week. We might add some more uranium glass. And some um, Dutchy stuff, Pennsylvania Dutchy stuff. Oh, yeah. Go to Etsy to check out the HP Lovecraft book. Check out our other stuff at Etsy. Artwork, copies of my books, t-shirts, and more. We were temporarily sold out of size medium of the High Strangeness Tour shirts just because I counted wrong. It said sold out before. I went up the other day, and we do have a couple mediums. So if you were in the medium of the High Strangeness Tour shirt, we do have them. I think we have one small or two smalls, one or two mediums, and one large as we're recording this. So that's it. Once those are gone, they will not be made again. While you're at Etsy, check out our friends at Karmic Garden and Chad Shop as well, Ruck Rabbit Outdoors. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. We have the Strange Familiars gathering group there. We're also on Instagram, at strangefamiliars. That's one word. And you can find us on the web at strangefamiliars.com.
need a king's daughter, dear. I'm sure you are to blame. For I am married to the house carpenter. They say he's a fine young man.
angels to and fro. I see the fires of hell, said he, where you and I must go. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.